from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello, Edwin. Come back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me, joining live from the U.S., CTO of Code 42, Rob Junkard. Rob, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I'm really honored and humbled to be, uh, to, for you to be with me today. First of all, like I say, traditional question, can you just introduce yourself for the folks who doesn't know you? And I doubt that people would not know you, but nevertheless. Well, first of all, Mehmet, thanks for having me on the show today. As a matter of fact, I, could, I saw the topic that you were raising today, and it's so relevant for all of us. Um, I was quite excited to, to be able to join you. So the honor today is all mine. Um, first and foremost, for everyone that doesn't know me, I'm Rob Junker. I'm Chief Technology Officer at Code42. We specialize in cybersecurity. So I get to look at all of the risks that are occurring out there um, with all of the collaboration that we do. And in our particular um, uh, instance of our product today, we make sure that IT and security teams aren't surprised by data leak loss or theft that's originating from insiders. And what that really means is that we're securing the collaboration culture. And to your topic today, there isn't a single conversation happening right now that doesn't involve the collaboration culture and the rapid expansion that it's seeing with artificial intelligence, especially some of the new generative technologies as well. Yeah, that's absolutely, you know, it's uh, top of mind, as uh, we say. Now, before we, you know, we go and deep dive in, in, in the AI part, um, you mentioned something which I try all the time to repeat. I mean, sometimes I feel myself, people might feel, you know, bored because I'm repeating this, but it's something true. And from your perspective, Rob, because you are, uh, I would say, working on technology that solve, you know, this issue, data leak, right, and breaches. Why it's important that we stop this and it doesn't matter the size of the company. I wanted to highlight first, let's talk about the problem and then deep dive with the, with the generative AI that also it's bringing another, uh, I would say, dimension to that. Yeah, you know, right now what I'm seeing is this incredible groundswell and shift in the way in which organizations are managing their data. And it started with the pandemic where everybody got sent home. And in that moment, we took all of the data that was traditionally centralized in our office and in the four walls of you know, our business. And, and we ended up having to stick it down on everybody's endpoints or spread it out in clouds where people could collaborate easier. And it really changed the face of, of collaboration. It, it meant that data could leak a lot easier because you and I, if I just even sent a file to you via email, those collaboration tools were so helpful. They, they tell me, you know, this file is over 25 megs. Do you want to send him a, a public link instead? And then he can just click on the link and download the file himself. Well, there's so much happening in the ways that, that technology has changed that data can leak right now easier than ever before. And most of the times the users who are out there 
um, who are leaking data are, aren't doing it maliciously or intentionally. It's an accidental leak of information where they overexpose or they overpermiss a file so that more people can gain access to it than they should. Now, as you start going down this path, the reason why it's so important to actually fix these problems and get a grasp of where your intellectual property as well as your customer data is, is because of the fact that the cost of a breach couldn't be higher right now. Um, as you begin taking a look at it, you know, a lot of this intellectual property is portable from one organization to the next, or it could be included in someone else's product if they know how it works in your organization. And that coupled with some of the other things we're seeing in the economy right now, like the revolving door of employees, where employees nowadays are moving between jobs a lot faster and employees also are feeling that they're entitled to take their information with them. So we're seeing more and more people who are a departing employee in an organization who will take their customer data, they'll take their customer contact list, they'll take, you know, source code with them from one job. In some cases, they find themselves in a competitor who actually is leveraging the information that the previous organization had for, for you know, malicious, if not um, a damaging purposes to the, to the previous organization. And, you know, we sit here at Code42 today and we have the luxury of looking at 180 billion data points over a 90 day span of how data is moving around. And I will tell you now more than ever, what we're seeing is that departing employees feel that that is their right. In fact, we're seeing over 62% of departing employees are taking data from their current organization to their next organization. So, you know, as, as we all talk about data leakage, people are always concerned about things like, you know, customer lists or, you know, some, some light intellectual property, but realistically, it's amazing with the data that we see how much data walks out that door constantly. Um, and if organizations aren't managing it, you could be putting your business at a serious risk of loss of revenue or legal implications um, by not taking active steps to manage it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it's something also we are noticing at a very uh, fast pace. I would say now to you to your point, uh, Rob, when you just mentioned about generative AI and ChatGPT, of course, is uh, the thing that comes to mind. How ChatGPT can be a risk and how it can be at the same time, something that, you know, organization can leverage to avoid, you know, data breaches. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start off with it celebrating chat GPT and what it's actually done first from a technology perspective. If you're not a CTO and you're not loving what um, has happened right now around technology, um, I'm sorry, you're missing the beauty of what just occurred, right? Um, and ChatGPT is such a fascinating tool because it actually brought to us as consumers the realization of how powerful those technologies could be. And as soon as the consumers got a hold of it, pretty soon we all realized that this was impacting us so quickly, right? That, that it meant it had to expand and get back into business. And how do, we, how do people leverage it from, from that perspective, right? So first and foremost, I've got to tell you, I love what it's done for us. Um, I love the fact that CTOs right now, it's getting beyond chat GPT and suddenly we're able to access these algorithms through cloud providers, uh, you know, AWS and Azure and others, right? Where we can bring that same powerful technology into our businesses. Now, when you start talking about how it's changing the landscape, I mean, you've got to admit, I'm not sure how it's not changing the landscape um, of the way in which we're working right now. Um, and I'll tell you here, even at Code42, we're using AI in a number of different ways. The first thing that we actually did was we launched it internally to Code42. So we created a private 
um, uh, chat GPT like service, if you will, where all of us employees could ask it questions. Now we did that for two reasons. One is we wanted to see the questions that people were asking it, right? So like by us seeing the prompts and what people were interested in, it would tell us where do they think AI could be practical in their day-to-day -day productivity. But the second thing we did was we, we, we kind of containerized it so that we weren't training a public model. What I didn't want was my users here running off and using those open models where they were putting maybe some intellectual property in there that the model could actually learn from. And as a result, we could be leaking data out to those generative AI technologies out there, right? And let me just tell you right now, everybody here at Code42, I don't care what position you're in, you are using some aspect of generative AI, um, whether you know it or not. Um, from our coders here on my team that are out here using the code suggestion tools like a Copilot or a Code Whisperer um, today, to our entire employee base where you know we're asking it questions now that that internal chat GPT model that I mentioned, we're asking it questions like, you know, what are our holidays for 2024? And it's coming back and telling us what days are our holidays. And it's saving us in productivity down that path too. So it, the use of it is widespread. Now, the real question is, is what roadblocks do we run into as we adopt this? And then how do we use this in a responsible way as well, right? And that's what we see a lot of now. And that's what we keep finding ourselves asking those questions. Yeah, but what are the risks, Rob? Like you mentioned, you are using your own, um, I mean, it's, it's a closed model. It's not the, it's yep. not the public one. Now, right. if, if I have today someone who's listening or watching this episode, you know, he or she might say, hey, hold on one second. So does that mean, does that mean there is a risk if my employees are using ChatGPT because maybe they will leak some, you know, competitive information. Maybe they are sharing something that should not be outside the organization. Can you shed some light on this part? Yeah, well, and I will tell you, let's, let's break the risks down here into a couple categories, right? And the first one I would actually say is the risk of, of fear that, you know, every organization is fighting with, right? And I'll tell you what, the, the thing that I ran into right away as we started talking about these technologies was I had a number of people who felt like their job was going to be replaced by these technologies. And, you know, a lot of people immediately, you know, put the brakes on. They're like, no, 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 don't bring this in. I, I, I don't want to use this, right? Um, but one of the things that we were able to do on that risk was we were able to educate them through it, making them realize that in some cases, the real risk to their job is if they didn't understand how to use this technology or they didn't adopt that technology. And that was a big fear that we ran into right away. Now, that was the first risk we had to clear. And I, I would tell every CTO or anyone else who's bringing these kind of technologies into your organization, talk to your organization openly about how these technologies work, make sure people understand it. That'd be a best pro tip that I've heard um, in a long time about how to, how to begin the implementation. Now, the second risk, like you said, is what data is going in there and how is that data ultimately being used? As an example, these models can learn very fast based upon the way in which they're prompted or the way in which they respond. And you either reward it and give it a treat, if you will, saying, good job, that's something that was a great response. Or alternatively, yeah, you say that was a terrible response. You just had one of those AI hallucinations, right? Um, and it learns from that as well, right? Um, and you are right, like these models, because they're constantly like a human brain and they're learning things, when they're asked a question, they don't discern the answer should be or should not include certain aspects of data in it. So if all of a sudden I had a product roadmap where I was feeding it into a public model saying, hey, here's some, here's my roadmap um, for 
for what I'm working on right now in our product, what should I work on next? And ask it a question like that. In some cases, it'll be like, wow, that was a great idea. But at the same time, it's learning what my roadmap is. So someone else could come along and ask it a question of like, hey, what's Code42's roadmap look like? And it would say, oh, you know what? I know the answer to this. It looks kind of like this. And it just spits it out, right? So for us, when you talk about kind of how do you educate and how do you interact with models, right? Um, they, there is a very important reality that we have to educate our users about what data is going in there. As an example, you know, we have thousands of customers here at Code42, and we do security work for all of those customers. We, we obviously can't feed that security data into an open model because in some cases, one customer's data would be sitting alongside some other customer's data. And we've got to be thinking about how do we actually maintain that private notion of data when in models like this that can learn, can adapt, it can grow. Um, so those are some considerations. Now, the last thing just to bring up as we talk about the risk of feeding things in is, you know, there is the desire to educate and desire to get good answers out of these models, but there's also a legal side of everyone's business today. And I think all of our lawyers are sitting out there right now and going, how do I, how do I ring fence this? How do I put something around this that makes me feel like my organizational data isn't being shared externally so that I'm not losing copyright law, I'm not losing trade secrets, um, things along those lines. And this is where I think lawyers, CTOs and CISOs all need to get together in a room. And that's exactly what we did here at Code42. And as a best practice, we all talked about our fears, our concerns. Um, and we sat down literally in a, in, a, in a conference room with a whiteboard, checking off every single one of those concerns, making sure that we've got, you know, some level of remediation around each one of those things. And for me as a CTO, you know, a lot of these code augmentation tools, they bring in publicly available source code and making sure that I don't all of a sudden put something that is open source in my source code um, that could cause me to have to, you know, disclose some of my source code openly is a real concern. So we sat down, we talked about all of those um, and we went through and checked off that list. Now, the thing that I've got to tell you too, Mehmet, is, as you were talking about this, is you and I have been joking a little bit about you know, the risk of users putting confidential data into right. these models, right? Um, and the risk is so real. Um, and I think that that's been the other side of this too, is that, um, you know, as we talk about the, the, the technology, we always talk about three things here at Code42. It's kind of our three T's. It's technology, training, and transparency, right? Um, and technology out there, ChatGPT is a great tool. The training was the other thing that we had to bring in here at Code42, and we're encouraging every one of our customers. And in fact, today, we've got a product here at Code42 that does training around AI, right? And what to put into those engines, what not to put in those engines. And the thing that we realized here quickly is the power of these tools were such that we had to spend a decent amount of time telling our users, here's what you can put in here, and here's what you can't put in there. And suddenly that, that data protection policy that we all have, where we talk about the difference between internal restricted confidential data, we had to make sure our users understood that so that they weren't putting data that might be customer data, customer secrets, things like that into those models. And that's why we ring fenced a lot of those models that we have today and, and really took the time to educate our users and pay attention to how our users are using them too. Yeah, and this is a real challenge, Rob. Uh, I think, yeah, education is key here because you, to your point also about, you know, how em uh, employees are shifting uh, between companies so fast and because, you know, COVID brought 
you know, this culture of remote work as well. Sure. So you can control really even maybe they are using their own devices to use, you know, the, the chat GPT. So it's, it's a huge challenge, but on the other side, you know, I have spoke to a lot of, of, uh, CTOs like yourself and a lot of people who were a little bit also positive about the use of the same technology to your point, to training and also not only training, like also to come up with solutions to avoid risks like data loss or data leak and, and such things. So where are you seeing the positive sides of generative AI tools into the cybersecurity space? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because especially in our world here at Code42, we're paying attention when data is being exfiltrated and trying to understand, for example, is that data sensitive and does the security team need to get involved? And around that, generative AI is going to play a very, very vital role, right? And the reason for it is, is today, every security team is short staffed compared to the risks that they're managing. And in fact, Every security team that you would talk to today will tell you that they're constantly in this firefight mode, but the firefight mode consists of a couple of things, which is the systems telling them that something's wrong. They're having to go investigate. And then they're in many cases having to go through an investigation of some kind to determine, you know, false positive or true positive. And if it is true positive, what do I have to do at this point to be able to remediate that risk? And who do I need to get involved? One of the powers of generative AI is we have literally figured out how to recreate the human brain and the way in which we think. And the beauty of this is in those modes where we've got some level of security poverty, where they are lacking the, the number of people that they need to perform their job, generative AI can step in there almost as a virtual security analyst to be able to play the role of the security analyst, right? So suddenly now I see a risk. And I've got this risk that's captured and containerized in this, you know, packet of data that says, here's what happened, here's why it happened, here's why and here's how, right? And I can fire that at generative AI and even ask it a question like, based upon the data I'm giving you, is this a real risk? And in some cases, generative AI is coming back saying, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I see a problem with this and a pattern that maybe you as a human wouldn't have seen. Or alternatively, it could come back and say, you know what, this looks like a user who accidentally did something. Um, and while yes, it's a risk, you don't need to respond with the full weight of your organizational remediation power to deal with this risk, right? Like being, we can, we can automate our way through this, right? So what I'm seeing right now is the, the what's ending up happening is, is that we're leveraging generative AI, even in our product here at code 42 to essentially solve this gap. And as we sit sit there today and these organizations have been in constant firefighting, fire, firefighting mode, we're using generative AI to step in and augment their humans that they've got in their security center to essentially do a first pass at that remediation, or at least a first pass of that analysis, and then only escalate those things that really need to be escalated. We're giving them a lot more bandwidth. And I think that's the beauty of these generative AI solutions is, is we literally take a human attached to a technology like this, or technology attached to, you know, generative AI capabilities, and we turn out superhuman productivity as a result of that. Um, so these security teams are going to be able to scale at levels that were never possible before generative AI. Um, they're going to be able to address risks that aren't those burning risks, but they're still high risks that before they just never had time to get to. And this technology is going to enable all of that. It's going to be pretty amazing to see where we go from here. And that I will say this to every CTO out there too right now. 
you know, if you've got an established product in the market, generative AI is something that if you're not already doing some code red level exercise around to figure out how it fits in your product, there's a really good chance that someone's going to come along and displace you. And that's the key right now is that I think all of us need to be asking, how is generative AI going to impact not only the work that we do on a daily basis, but the tools and products that we build that thereby enable customers to. And, and that's been a key focus of ours as well, Matt. Yeah, that's, that's great insight from you, Rob. Now, I know that uh, at uh, Code42, you focus on the insider risk detection and the response. So we talked about, you know, the insider risk a little bit. So let's talk about the response. And is there also a role for the AI in the response part as well? There, there definitely is. And in fact, um, I gave you the example a second ago of AI being used to do an investigation, right? And in our tools today, we do have the ability, when, since we've been kind of incorporating this, to, to more or less do an analysis of, of data that's occurring and say, is this a risk or is it not a risk? And in those moments where we say it is a risk, but, you know, let's not throw the full weight of the organization at it. These AI tools that are out there right now are incredible at being able to help in the remediation process, right? Like I literally could create in a prompt right now saying, write me an email I should send an employee who accidentally shared a file too broadly. And it would come back out and it would be pretty darn good at the content it creates, right? So it's gone to the point now where, you know, it used to be security analysts would have this pre-canned message of like, this is what you should do in the future. Or they would say, you know, this is something that, that they need to be aware of. But like, you know, and, and in those moments that they didn't, they'd have to create content, right? And the beauty of generative AI right now is it really allows us to create new content based upon an individualized uh, risk and an analysis that's being done. So suddenly that end user gets super targeted content saying what they did wrong, here's how to fix it. And we can deliver that without a human having to sit there, write all of that information up and actually give it to that employee. Now, the other thing which I've got to tell you, we're experimenting with right now. And I'm also a huge fan of is that humans in general are better visual learners than they are reading emails, right? And these AI chatbots that are starting to generate um, videos and trainings out of text are getting really good too. We, in fact, used one of the, those bots this year for a mid-year training on AI where we fed it a script. And as we fed it the script, it actually read the script with a human, you know, moving around and doing all of this other stuff. And and it was really darn good what it was what I was able to do. I'll tell you a story about that. Um, we were doing this training and in the final hours, literally before we were gonna push this training out, um, we realized that there was a mistake in the script that we were feeding into this chatbot that had created this video for us. And within a few hours before the training, we fixed the script, we sent it in, it generated a brand new video for us. And we were able to push that out to our entire company. Now think about that. If we were going to do that in real life and we didn't have that technology, we would have had to gone back to a studio. You know, you do podcasts. You know what that's like, editing things out, trying to make it look natural so that you're not distracting the user, right? And instead, within 45 minutes, we had fixed the glitch. We had put a brand new video out there. We were able to push that out. Think about that coming to user education, right? And think about like, hey, you know, create me a script, but then create me a video to deliver to this user that's less than one minute in total duration that emphasizes the key points that you need to know for next time. And, and like I said, that's kind of the power of this generative AI. It's not just about the investigation, but to your point, the changes it's going to do for us in remediation 
and the individualized content that it's going to be able to push out here all without me having to go into a studio to record a video to be able to push that out. It, it's a very, very powerful concept um, that is coming and it's going to be here before you and I even know it. Um, pretty soon, you might not even be having Rob Junker on your podcast. You might have virtual Rob Junker on your podcast where you're asking a question and this is asking, answering like it's me, you know? <laughs> I hope not. I need my agents. <laughs> uh, Rob, uh, you know what? You know, you talked about the, the you know, translated to AI totally now, but about the exfiltration of the data. And this story, we hear it a lot. Uh, why is it still one of the favorite methodologies for the bad actors to attack customers? Just in terms of how they exfiltrate data, or yes, we, yeah, like what, what? So, so we know that they're gonna like the fact is, organizations somehow they they have vulnerabilities and they get in, but then you know the sensitive data going out. Why still it is you know a, I would say a successful uh, campaign from the bad actors that it works majority of the time. Yeah, you know, it, so insider risk as a whole, one of the things that we've observed. Um, is that once someone gets inside of an environment or if they're able to um, manipulate a user, whether it be, you know, uh, let's start with the case of someone getting inside an environment. Let's say that there's some malware that makes it through the door um, and then they end up on with some level of command and control on an endpoint. Um, it doesn't take long for attackers to be able to discover what's valuable data um, and where that valuable data lives. And this is where things get a little tricky because if it's an end user who's interacting with data that they typically interact with, let's say they gain access to a salesperson and that salesperson, you know, has customer records on their endpoint as an example, right? It's not hard for them to gain access to really critical, valuable information that could be used against that organization or sold, you know, on dark web for a decent chunk of money for, for people to be able to gain some and leverage some, some data, right? Um, What's fascinating though, is when you and I think about it and the challenge with data exfiltration is that data is constantly moving around, right? And in many cases, what's ending up happening is that they're grabbing small files that contain an immense amount of intellectual property or immense amount of customer data. And if you think about the sea of data that is moving in and outside of an organization, the, the exfiltration of data is running on the fumes of the network traffic that's actually happening. So it literally is trying to find a needle in a haystack um, as data is heading out. So that's where tools like ours and others for that matter play a really vital role because what we're constantly doing is looking for how data is actually being moved off of an endpoint and understanding where it went. And when we see these odd behaviors where all of a sudden a file you know, is being downloaded, let's say from a source code repository and then being exfiltrated out to a personal email address, right? We sit there and we say, well, hold on, this is, that should not be happening, right? And then we step in and we're able to, you know, stop as well as remediate any of those risks and also educate users so it doesn't happen again. Hopefully it's not malware, but in some cases have, we'll have to go work with other tools to be able to eliminate the malware that's running on that endpoint, right? So that's the real challenge. Now, the second big challenge that we run into, Memon, is the fact that data exfiltration, the ways in which data is being exfiltrated is constantly changing, right? Um, it used to be pretty simple, right? It used to be like someone would copy a file off of an endpoint after they gained access to it to a remote file share that they had somewhere up in the cloud and then they were able to pick up their files and walk away with that, right? That's not 
that's not the script anymore, right? The script has changed, right? They're, they're using a numerous set of tools and technologies. They're using websites where, you know, you can essentially upload files to that, you know, hold on to those files and then it can be downloaded from other locations later. I mean, even from a user perspective today, um, it used to be the most common exfiltration method mechanism that we saw was someone would take a USB hard drive, right? Stick it into their endpoint, copy files off and then, you know, walk out the door with it, right? I will tell you right now, if I handed, and I mean this with no disrespect, if I handed my 16-year-old daughter a USB hard drive, she'd look at me yelling, what do I do with this, right? But for her, her preferred exfiltration me mechanism is AirDrop, right? She's just going to sit there and AirDrop from her computer to the phone. And, you know, as I talk about those 180 billion data points in 90 days here that we analyze at Code42, AirDrop, as an example, has gone up 1,000% quarter over quarter in terms of the exfiltration rate of that particular vector, right? And we're continuing to see USB decline, right? We're also seeing things like, for example, used to be people would take data off their endpoints using SFTP or FTP for that matter, right? We don't see as much of that anymore. What we're seeing is people who are incredibly skilled and are used to Git as a command line utility uploading files to Git repositories that are personal or cloaked in the cloud um, and doing it that way as well, right? So the trick here when you talk about data exfiltration is that it's gotten a lot more complex. It's no longer the script is as simple as when a file goes from point A to point B and it's a cloud file share, data was exfiltrated. Now we're seeing data go off by curl, SFTP, web browsers that have these you know, cloaked modes that, that's they, that they're able to upload for. So organizations are, are really struggling right now. And, and I mean it, it's, it's a tough problem to solve. Um, trying to find that needle in the haystack of activity, um, but at the same time, being able to manage that entire breadth of mechanisms by which users can exfiltrate data, or for that matter, a compromised endpoint can send that data somewhere else that, that someone's been able to pick up. So it really has been a, it's been an incredible ground change in, in, in the way in which um, data is being exfiltrated and the volume of that data being exfiltrated too, so. Yeah, yeah, I think also like multi-cloud, uh, remote work, bring your own device, shadow IT, like it, all these, you know, added the complexity over there, right, Rob? Yeah, and, and I, by the way, it's funny you just brought that one up. I was talking to a CISO yesterday, um, and the CISO was talking a lot about kind of BYOD and the effect of, of some of those things. And, and in their particular case, what was really bad is that they had two-factor authentication implemented for a number of their cloud properties. Um, but at the same time, the, the way in which they managed it allowed people to use their home computers to gain access to their cloud repositories. And what they were finding was that users were, you know, gaining access to these cloud repositories, you know, if it's, you know, one of the storage platforms up in the cloud and they would download files from those to their home endpoint. When you think about it, you know, all of us, your machine, my machine, we set up these perimeters of security around them, but you know, there's no perimeter of security around someone's home machine that's sitting in their, in their house at night, right? Um, and they, they had a long conversation with me about how do you solve that problem? Um, and we had a great, great um, dialogue around this. And hopefully we're going to be able to help them um, bring that to closure here too. So, but yeah, that is a, a real risk right now um, is that there's so many devices participating in that data sharing too, um, that you have to choose tools that are giving you a look at 
not only just the monitored devices, but also are there unmonitored devices that are participating in any of that data exchange that's occurring and, and where are those and how do you begin to lock those devices out too? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, Rob, a little bit also kind of out of curiosity, being a CTO for a company that does cybersecurity, how is it different from being a CTO for, I don't know, like when you are in another space? Because I know cybersecurity, I've been there before, it's not easy. Because you, you are the CTO over there, so you're responsible for the technology, for the code, for the, you know, and you speak to customers, obviously, also as well. So how, how you know, being a CTO in a cybersecurity company different than any other place? Yeah, well, first and foremost, there's actually a bald spot right here. My hair is grayer than it was when I started. Um, there definitely <laughs> is added pressure. I, I mean, I, it's, it's funny, but we all, we all talk, let's talk about CISOs for a second. CISOs have one of the hardest jobs um, in any organization. And there's a reason why there's so much burnout in that role and why CISOs typically last in an organization for a couple of years and then they move to another organization just because, you know, they're, they're constantly under pressure and they're, they're constantly feeling that. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's great because like, I feel like I'm a little bit of a CISO at the same time because my product has to take into account the risks that they're dealing with on a daily basis. And candidly, a lot of people on my team, especially on some of the teams that specialize in data exfiltration, we feel the pressure to never miss an event or never miss a risk, right? The last thing we want to have happen is data be exfiltrated under our watch um, where that's going out and, you know, ultimately and an organization is, is, you know, threatened by that information that that's leaked, um, and the cost of that breach that they're, that they're having to deal with. Right. Um, so when you say that though, one of the things that I, I will tell you that's different is security for me. Um, it's not just a way of life. It's also a, um, cultural way of thinking here at code 42. So in a lot of organizations as a CTO, you're responsible for making sure that your architecture is good. You're making sure that you're delivering product. You're making sure that you're pushing releases out effectively, um, not having a lot of defects, if you will. In my world, um, what it means is I constantly have this security mindset. And to that end, my CICD processes here, when I build code, it's not that I'm just building code and running tests against that code. I build my security co controls into my code. Um, which allows us to be able to push these releases out and making sure that we're constantly in that security compliance to make sure that we don't have vulnerabilities, to make sure that we don't have um, risks. We're constantly code scanning ourselves to make sure that, that there's no way that we could be, you know, part of, a, of an attack um, on any organization. And that security mindset makes it into the way in which we write code here at Code42, which is like, like, as you said, it's, it's a little bit different than some of the other organizations who think about securing their product after it's delivered to market, right? Um, as an example, we think about security through the entire life cycle of, of, of the process. But secondarily, the other thing that it does is it really brings um, pressure for me and for our teams here at Code42 um, to make sure that we also are empathetic to security teams and what they're going through. And at the end of this, it's so important that we're you know, making it easier for those security teams, allowing them to do investigation faster, allowing them to remediate better, um, making sure that risks that they close could never be bypassed through rules and exceptions and things along those lines. And, you know, we take that responsibility very seriously. And, and I, mean, I, I think there's, the, I, uh, candidly, I'm growing up, 
I was a hacker, right? In third grade, I probably should have called prison and made reservations, but luckily never got caught doing the hacking stuff that I've done. Um, but I've always been in cybersecurity as a CTO my entire life in my professional career, right? And if there was a switch on the wall that I could flip and turn off the darkness, believe me, I would flip that switch. I would change industries, right? Um, I'll find a different way to use my, my, my abilities, right? Other than cybersecurity. But the reality is that switch doesn't exist, nor will it ever exist. And cybersecurity risks are here to stay. It's a cat and mouse game though, where we, the people who are solving these risks have to stay ahead of the attackers that are trying to exploit them. And, and it's a big job because, you know, things change quickly. So, but it's exciting. I love it. I mean, I drink plenty of coffee too, as a result of that. <laughs> yeah. To, to your point, uh, Rob, about, you know, CISOs, I speak, I speak, you know, because now I'm kind of an independent guy, so they don't see me as a vendor. So they speak freely to me. Right. You know, you know, m my greetings and regards to every CISO, whatever he or she is, these guys, life is tough, really tough. Um, they are under pressure all the time. Um, you know, they, yeah. they are, uh, you know, they, they, the whole company future is, is, <laughs> it depends on, on their, on their, you know, strategies and, you know, the way they, they act. And also at the same time, you know, people like yourself, Rob, and, you know, many other, uh, you know, leaders in the cybersecurity, the, who tries genuinely to solve this problem that. Everyone knows that they exist, but people yeah. don't, don't figure it out until it happens. So, and, uh, you know, I, I was just before we, we start to record, of course, I know about code 42, but like, and I said, let me just have a look and really congratulations, Rob, because I've seen like big names on the website yep. who are part of your customers. I've seen Snowflake, I've seen, uh, CrowdStrike and Okta. Really congratulations on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, as someone who comes from a technology background, for me, every single product that solves a problem is something that deserves to be looked at. So guys, okay. have a look at Code42. It, it's, it's a great solution. I, I heard about it like a long time before, by the way. So someone was telling me a couple of years back about, you know, Insider's Net. And at that time, you know, what is Insider's Net, by the way? I know. Isn't it, it? It's funny how far it's come. And by the way, thank you. And, and something just to kind of share with you. And I, I really appreciated your comments a second ago about CISOs. And I mean, it's great because as an independent, I can see that you're, you know, able to have those conversations because most of the time there's like this, this friction that exists between a CTO and a CISO where the CTO is like, I got to get product out. I got to get product out. I got to get product out. And CISO is saying, I got to secure it, got to secure it, got to secure it. And you're like, those two things sometimes conflict. And I am blessed, and I mean that in all sincerity, with my CISO that I have here, JD Hansen. She is a amazing CISO to work alongside of. And if there's one other bit of advice I would give to every product company out there today, regardless of what industry that you're in, is I believe that the CTO and CISO we need to bond in such a way there is no gap between those two functions in an organization. And if you create a great relationship with your CISO, you know, the two of you can solve just incredible problems together. And I've had that luxury here at Code 42. And I'm again, blessed with my CISO um, and what she's brought to the equation. Um, the other thing is, is that thank you also for, you know, as you point out, um, Code 42 and some of the relationships that we have. And one of the things I do love about Code 42 is, yes, we've got a great customer list. 
But more importantly, if you look at our customers, you mentioned a whole bunch of them that are in the security business and they use code 42, even when they have a security product, right? Alongside ours to be able to solve the security equation. And what this means is that I've got fantastic relationships with CTOs of many of those organizations that you brought up and the other ones that are on our website. And our true win in my perspective is seeing all of those security companies use code 42. Um, because it means that we've got a great ecosystem. We've got a great group of people that we work alongside and we're recognized by our peers in the security industry too. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun um, with the, the, the work that I get to do. And now generative AI is really throwing quite the um, capabilities as well as challenges for us to be able to manage that as an exfiltration vector and understand those risks. And, you know, again, we're really proud about those steps that we've taken to advance our roadmap there. Um, and deliver an experience for our customers where we can manage those risks too. Yeah, and let us not forget our friends because some, I have a lot of them, the CIOs as well, uh, because Absolutely you guys, right. because you guys also <laughs> you take care of all the operations and <laughs> and you have Absolutely. to talk to your, you have to talk to your CEOs and to your CTO also as well. So definitely, I agree. I'm biased, Rob, because I used to be on the other side of the table. Yeah like 10 years back. So <laughs> I can understand yeah. this. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation today. Was there anything, Rob, that you wished I had asked you? No, I, I would just come back to it again, Mehmet. I think that all of us right now are living in an exciting time. And the reality is, is that these generative AI technologies have advanced so fast, so quickly. And for what it's worth, I don't even think we've seen the near the tip of the iceberg, right? Of, of what's, what's coming underneath it, right? Um, I think that these technologies are going to continue to push boundaries in business and offer us new opportunities. And for those of us that are embracing these moments and taking these moments to secure those technologies the right way, um, there's huge upside in, in our capabilities here and a way to grow our business and our innovative capabilities that we can drive to our customers too. Um, and I also just want to say thank you for having a dialogue on it because um, so many of the podcasts that I've hopped on and so many of the conversations I've had on this it's all been fear-based, like, oh my gosh, could this happen? Oh my gosh, could that happen? And I loved our conversation today because you focused so much on the goodness of this. And I think it's important people hear that we've got to turn the corner. We've got to not be afraid of these technologies. We've got to find the right ways to embrace them, bring them in and leverage them too. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. And actually, you know, uh, it's not like because I'm fan of a special technology that I don't bring, you know, the fear, but because... You know, I repeated this on the show multiple times. Yeah, any new technology has its own positive sides and negative sides. And AI is no different, right? And Absolutely. if we want to think about it, you know, always in a negative way, we could have said, oh, you know what? Fire, which is a technology, it's it's dangerous because we can burn ourselves. Like, right? Yeah. And, you know, when, when people say, and you know, a lot of my guests, they give the same example, maybe you know, when people start to use cars and they ditch, you know, using the, the horse carriers and so on. We have a lot of examples and we can see, you know, the, the potential of this technology on the positive side. And like, yeah, we, we need to be careful. We need to be, uh, I would say responsible in using the technology and like any other technology, even cybersecurity. And you mentioned yourself, Rob, like it's just the switch, right? So it's like, you can't decide to be on the bad side or the good side. And yeah. hopefully many people will be on the good side. So that's yeah, right. 
I really also enjoyed Rob. Like it was really fun to have you today and have all your insights. I really appreciate it. And uh, Rob, like uh, of course, I will put you know the company's website in the uh, in the show notes as well. And uh, if if anyone has question to Rob, you can come back to me. I will I will pass that to to Rob. And as usual, guys, this is the way I end my episodes. If you have any feedback, any questions. Don't be shy. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. Also, if you are interested to be a guest on the show, please reach out and you can address us. Thank you very much. And we meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.